but you can go away and think about it. In fact, you are, this is going to make you think, all right? And my, our goal increasingly here as a church is to, is to help you think, not to tell you what to think, all right? Hello? So I know some of you are going home from church Sunday and it's like, wow, didn't get some of that. But that's a good thing. It's good to learn. It's good to be like good Bereans in Acts. as they went away and studied the scripture to see if these things were so. So we're not being obscure on purpose. We're just on a journey into the things that God is showing us. And I was talking with Kezia the other, just yesterday. Kezia and Joe are up for the weekend, which is great. So Kezia is my youngest daughter. Um, and you know what? We've been doing what we've been doing for a long time, and we've had a certain amount of success, but if we're going to change this planet, which is what we're called to do, maybe some of the ideas we're running with are not quite right. Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over again with the same ideas, and the, the results are about the same, maybe it's time to have ask the Holy Spirit to show us some other stuff. Yeah? Okay, well, I thought that was good. Can, can, we, can we go up to Matthew 11? Let's just going to read this. This is an amazing transition chapter uh, in, in, the, in Matthew. It says, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go to see? A prophet, yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is is no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah, is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Next slide. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in a marketplace and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you and you didn't dance and we sang the dirge and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. Yay. Sorry, that's not in the original text, all right? That was just my excitement at that phrase. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom... It would have remained until this day, but I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now you can kind of read that if you're familiar with it and move on, but actually it has some startling, outrageous things in that passage that we just read. And Jesus is 
waving a huge flag to us and certainly to the people that were listening to him, the times they are a-changing. I'm come singing a new tune. Just to pick up the picture, the, the, the picture that he's using there. John came singing a dirge. He didn't like that. I've come singing a celebration song. I'm an eating, singing, celebrating dude. The time has changed. The tune is changing. And he's announcing it and declaring it and describing it in this passage. And they hated him for it. So just pick up some of the things in there. Verse 11. You could, next slide, I think it's on. It says, the least in this new era that he is proclaiming, that he is saying he is starting, is greater than the greatest person, greater than John, who is the greatest of those born to women. Wow. He said, no one greater than John. In all the Old Testament history, and he says, but the least in the kingdom of heaven, which he is now proclaiming is here because he's here, is greater, the least is greater than the greatest in the old. Wow. So think of all your Old Testament heroes, Moses, David, Elijah, saying, doesn't matter how lower view you may have of yourself and your position in the kingdom, you're greater than them. Something's changing. He's saying if you get in my kingdom, it's so radically different that you have a superior significance to anything that came before. You have to understand what was the point of the old. The point of the old was to get ready for the new. It was to set the stage. It was to set it up. It wasn't meant to remain. So of course the new is greater than the old. Because the whole point of the old was to set it up for the new. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6. It says, Christ obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. Glad I'm in this one. We get better promises. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that the old is obsolete. So you can be great, but if it's in the obsolete thing, not so great. So those of us who are in the kingdom of heaven, we've been invaded by the presence and the love and by God himself have incredible significance for this planet because of who we're connected to and who has come to live inside of us and the kingdom that we represent Okay, next slide. He just kind of, in his little chat, says, and the prophetic function of the Old Testament prophets and the law ended with John, because I said so. So, most of your Bible is Old Covenant, right? 
It's full of prophets and books of Moses and Psalms and all this kind of stuff going on. And Jesus says, the prophetic function of all of that is now over. I mean, there's a lot of stuff wrapped. First of all, that he even has the authority to make a declaration like that. See, the first covenant that most of the Old Testament or Old Covenant works under is regarded as faulty. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second one. It needed to be done away with and replaced with a superior covenant, a superior era. Jesus announced a superior epoch, the beginning of a whole new way of life, a whole new um, era. That's the word that we used. The point of all the Old Testament prophetic and the law was to get ready for the new. So when the new comes, its function is ended. It's all pointing prophetically to Christ. So when Christ comes, it stopped prophesying. Because the thing that it was declaring, preparing for, and pointing to has now arrived. Ta-da! He's saying, I'm here. So it's prophetic, it's forward-pointing, it's forward-looking function, it's declaration of what is to come is now over because what it was foretelling has arrived in me. So he's saying, the least who gets in this kingdom is greater than the greatest of the old. And by the way, the prophetic function of all that old stuff is now finished because I'm here. And Jesus fulfilled all the law and the prophets anyway. It's done. He did it. No one else had ever done it. He came, he did it. So it's done. In fact, he's the fulfillment of everything. So if you look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is introduced there as Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Why is that important? Because God made huge covenant promises with David and Abraham, which their offspring didn't totally fulfill, and they failed. But Jesus is a direct descendant of David and of Abraham, and he now fulfills the promises that was made to them all those millennia before. He is the fulfillment. There isn't something else going to come or someone else going to come. He is the seed, it says in Galatians, that was promised to to Abraham. Hello? Hello? Jesus is pretty awesome. He put a big fat full stop at the end of the old and said, I am the new and I'm introducing the new. I embody the new, I declare the new, I initiate the new, and I can have the authority to tell you that the function of the old has ended and that it was an inferior covenant, but it was necessary to get you ready for the superior covenant. Hello? Keep tracking with me. And in the next slide, I like this one. Although I'm not sure Sodomites would like this one. Cities destroyed on the old city. So remember Sodom? It's a sinful city. And only Lot's family gets rescued. And then, and then it kind of fire falls from heaven and consumes the whole place. In the Old Testament story, yeah? Cool, you know, fire. God incinerates a whole city. Jesus says... If they'd seen the miracles 
that Capernaum had seen, they would have repented and survived. What he's saying is, if that city existed in my era and saw what I was doing and witnessed the kingdom that I am displaying, they would have repented. That's how different my season is to that season. Those that were destroyed would now live. Those that were hopeless now have hope. Those that would have suffered judgment now can receive mercy and repentance. Flipping heck, this is a big change. Don't think flipping heck is in the Bible, but it should be. If, if I do a paraphrase, it will be. So, well, yeah, the, it's in the Greek. I'm sure it's in the Greek. <laughs> um, what Jesus is doing is an, an announcing is a massive change from the old ways and what they thought were God's ways. He's talking a complete replacement, just not a nice upgrade. Yeah? Now, if you know your Bible, and, and they certainly did, but they often didn't see this, they shouldn't have been surprised, but they were. They shouldn't be surprised that from time to time God breaks in and a big shift happens. And something is now different than what was happening before. And the way even we can understand how God works seems to change. Now I'm not saying that God changes because He is always the same yesterday and today forever. But he, we are on the end of His revelatory delivery system. And what we understand of him grows and develops. And that even happens through the Bible. So you've got people in the Bible and almost like one minute they think, well, this is how God does it. And the next minute, something's different. You look at me like, nah, I'm going to show you that it's true. Because what all the shifts that happen in the Old Testament are really there to prepare you for the massive shift that happens when Jesus comes. If you don't see this, you'll be surprised by how big a change it is when he shows up. So can we have the next? So here's the, here's the shifts that happen through the covenants that God makes with men through the ages. Now covenants, it's not a word we use very often, but it's, it's something made in blood. And in, in the sort of olden days, like 4,000 years ago, they would cut big animals up, probably two kings, if they were going to make some an alliance, an agreement. They'd cut big animals up, have all this blood all over the floor, and they'd stand in the blood and they'd make an agreement. You know, I won't invade you if you don't invade me. And if I violate that agreement, then let it be to me like it is for this animal. So it was a covenant made in blood. The cost of non-compliance was for either party. And what happens here... When God makes covenants, he really helps us out. So he does the lion's share of the agreeing and the making. So when God makes a covenant with Abraham, he gets Abraham to cut all the animals in half, but the only person that passes through the animals is God. He's saying, look, I am, I am the surety that this is going to work. I'm not relying on you, Abraham. I'm making this deal, and I'm making it with you. All right? So that's just roughly what a covenant is. And all through the Bible, there are covenants. And there's actually six of them mentioned in the Bible. The first one is with Adam, but we don't need to go there today. The next one is with Noah. 
Right now, before Noah, God is completely free to drown the whole world from heaven. Yeah? The heavens open and the floods come up from the earth and rain falls from the sky because the world is wicked. God says, I've had enough with you lot. He saves eight people in a boat and drowns the rest of them. After Noah, God says, I'm not going to do that anymore. And by the way, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky just to tell you that that's... So that's all new, isn't it? If you were one of the eight in that boat, you would have been living in an environment in which it was possible that God could drown everybody on the planet and in which there was never a rainbow. Suddenly they pop out the other side, they dry off a little bit and God sticks a rainbow in the sky and says... The way I'm arranging things now is no more drowning. Phew! But it's a change. It's a shift. What was is now, not, it's not the same. It's not as it used to be, yeah? And then Abraham comes along. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he introduces something new there. He says all, all male offspring must be circumcised on the eighth day to show that they're part of this covenant. Now, people had relationship with God before that, but they didn't have to do that. That's a new thing. And for some people, they'd rather been alive before that one was introduced. And there's a lot more besides. There's a lot more stuff that God delivers to Abraham that was new. He promises him a land. He promises him offspring. Uh, He promises him that through his seed, the ends of the earth will be blessed. That's all new stuff that if you were before that, you didn't know about. Or wasn't happening, or wasn't released on the earth. Okay, so that's a shift. And then Moses comes along and decides he's going to write five books of the Bible. And God takes him up and down a mountain three times and gives him tablets of stone and books of the law. And he, he gives him ceremonial law, he gives him moral law, he gives him civil law. So how to run a nation, how to worship God, and how to behave yourself. So he delivers all this stuff and it's there in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and on and on and on. You can read it and read it. it. None of that was there before. And he makes a covenant with a whole people and he gets them walking past a mountain and throws blood on all the people just to say, you're in this deal now. And they all say, amen, we'll do it. And then they don't. And they keep saying, yeah, we'll do it. And then they don't. Yeah, we'll do it. Then they don't. And that's kind of the story. So there's a whole chunk of Bible in there that was never there before until Moses comes along and God delivers this whole package of how to make a tent out of seal skin, how to burn offerings, how to kill animals, how to sprinkle blood on people. Yeah? That's all new. That wasn't there before. Abraham didn't have to do that. Noah didn't have to do that. Suddenly, you're like, whoa, this is a bit of a big change, God. Come on. Is God the same? Yes. Is how we understand what he's doing the same? Well, probably not. We're learning some new stuff about God here. Some things have shifted. In fact, you know, there's books of the stuff, all this stuff to learn. I mean, actually, I'd rather go to the old days. At least I only have to remember, get circumcised and then we're okay. <laughs> now we have to remember, you know, how many days we're impure and how, how to cleanse our house from mildew and on and on and on and on. And it goes, I mean, it's just endless stuff. You need to be a lawyer to, to get your head around it all. And then David rocks up, and you've got all these books of Moses, and Moses is a great hero and great deliverer, etc., etc., and he writes in Psalm 40, verse 6, that actually God isn't really that delighted in sacrifices and offerings. He just spent chapters and chapters and chapters telling you how to do a good offering, how, you know, how, to get, how to kill things well. 
how to sprinkle blood in the right places. And David gets this revelation. He says, actually, God's not that pleased with all that stuff. That's mighty confusing if your job and lots of people's job was killing things for God. Their whole life was, let's kill things for God. Let's empty the blood. Let's have the bread of the presence. Let's keep the lamps alight. Let's do this, all this stuff. And by the way, let's not go into that place where the ark of the presence is because it's scary and God might kill you. Only once a year. And David just has a revelation. He figured out just flick the next slide up. Sacrifices and offering you have not delighted in, but you give me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Moses just spent chapters telling them he needs this stuff every day. That's going to mess with your head. Yeah? Now, just to, pre, to sort of preempt the new covenant, just imagine how much that messes with their head. What Jesus did is just going to completely give you meltdown. He changed so much. It's just not, it's really hard to get. So David figured that God didn't desire sacrifice and burnt offerings, although he had commanded it over and over again. And he had a, a he had a, he and his prophets came up with a whole new scheme. As you do when you hang out with prophets. It's like, actually they had a, another level of revelation. They actually had a superior revelation of what it was about. So in 2 Chronicles 29, he stationed the Levites. Levites these are the guys trained to kill things for God. He stations the Levites in the temple of the Lord with symbols. So exchanging knives and machetes for harps and guitars and lyres and the way described by David and Gad the king's seer and Nathan the prophet this was commanded by the Lord through his prophets so it's okay then we'll just change everything throw away your knives throw away your machetes or whatever it is your butchers thingies and get get trained on the guitar and you're like but I was raised to kill stuff not to play stuff Can you see how if you lived in the transition of one era to the other, you would be confused. Because you were told, this is God. This is what God does. This is how to please God. You do it this way. You kill stuff. You kill it here. You do it this way. And then you, only one person comes before him. And even then we're a bit scared that you might die. So he's tied a rope around your leg in case he smites you in front of the throne. And then David says, look, I'm setting up a whole new deal here. Put away your knives, get on your guitars, and all of you stand before the presence of the Lord and start singing. They're like, what? What with no ropes? No ropes. Only guitars. You can see how, you know, if you were raised up, you were trained, you were born to be a Levite. You were trained in this stuff. And suddenly David and a couple of prophets come along and say, nah, don't do that no more. Oh, well, we'll do that on the high place back in whatever, but I'm bringing the Ark of the Covenant into this thing that I made, and we're just going to celebrate all day and night. Cool. To us, confusing to them. Yeah? Can you see? Transition is hard. If you were living in one, and you ha- now have to move over to another. Huh. So, 
if you understood Israel's history, you would not be given that all the law and the prophets are pointing to this new era which John announces has come, the prophet John announces has come, you should not be surprised that something's going to shift. But then being then, they were. Surprised, shocked to the point of thinking, let's kill this guy because he's changing so, so much. So here's some of the... (coughs) See, Jesus, the Hebrews tells us... We've got another slide or we're near the end. Here we go. Yeah, we go. It says, long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, by the way. So saying there was revelation in the past, but now Jesus is the exact representation. Somehow, this melts your mind, a man who was also God, or I'm not saying Jesus wasn't 100% divine, but he was also 100% man, a man lived exactly in a way as to represent God fully on the earth. Flipping heck. See, I told you it must be in the Bible. So he is, he is the revelation of God that trumps all the other revelations. All right? You know, trumps, you know, if you're playing kind of for cards and you're trying to win tricks, if you do, whatever that game is, you know, and you pay the two, and trumps his spades, and you pay the two of spades, you think, I'm going to win this trick, and someone comes up with the king, you're stuffed. Well, he's the king. All the others were twos and eights and threes and fours, and he's the king. Here we go. Everything else has to submit to the king, the superior revelation, the ultimate revelation of God on the planet, Jesus. That's what we're celebrating today, Jesus, who died and rose from the dead. There was no one like him prior to him. He initiated a whole new era, a massive shift so much so that the old is obsolete because he's initiated the new. It's huge. It's incredible. It's mind-bending. It's exciting. It's glorious. It's called the new covenant in his blood. So here's some of the things he messed with. We've talked about some of these before. I haven't got these on slides. But he changed statements in the law. So Matthew five, thirty-eight and 43 he says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He just kind of took a rubber over something in Leviticus and said, well, I think it's better like this. Well, what do you believe? Believe Jesus, simple. View the whole thing through the lens of Jesus. Don't try and give that verse as much weight as the Jesus verse because then you're not honoring this scripture. So we now don't kill our enemies, church either literally or metaphorically. We're not here to kill them with our words or our swords. Jesus said, that's not what we do now. In my kingdom, you love your enemies and pray for people that persecute you. In the old covenant, they merrily went around killing their enemies. 
And we tell our kids the stories in, in kids' work. Yeah, we celebrate that they took the head off, David took the head off Goliath. Don't they? We're like, woo! Blood and guts and God, Jesus. Don't do that now. That era is over. He changed the view of the prophetic. So in Luke 9, 54, you've got the sons of thunder, a couple of the disciples of Jesus, and some people that are opposing Jesus, and they say to him, say, Jesus, it was James and John, I think, wasn't it? He said, Jesus, Jesus, God, let's, let's call some fire down on these guys. And they think they're right on it. They think they're kind of Jesus' cool buddies. You know, you, these guys giving us a hard time. You, you've got us in on your inner circle here. We'll take care of them for you, Jesus. We'll, we'll give them the Elijah toasting treat. Something like a hundred soldiers got toasted when they came to arrest Elijah. He called fire down from heaven and fried them to death. They think they can do that. Jesus says, we don't do that now. In fact, if you do that, you don't know what spirit you are of. So, well, but that was okay in the Old Testament. What was okay then, if you repeat it now, can be inhabited by the wrong spirit. So just taking a proof text out of somewhere way back when and saying, well, we still do the fire thing. Well, maybe you could do the fire, but he says you don't know what spirit you're of. Hello. In Luke 4.18, where he announces his ministry that the Spirit of the Lord is on him and he's called him to, to heal the sick and pronounce the favorable day of the Lord and proclaim the good news and etc., etc., he proclaims himself and God as the healer. There's lots of New Testament things where you see, well, God makes you sick, he makes you blind. You can find it in uh, Exodus 4.11, but now he's saying God's the healer all the time. The devil makes you ill, God makes you well. That's, that's, if you just read the New Testament, that is the only conclusion you can come to, I believe. God makes you well, devil makes you ill. God makes you well, devil makes you ill. That's the new deal. So what about Job? Well, Job where's Job in the Bible? Correct, it's in the Old Testament. Job is an eight of spades. We're playing the king of spades. You can't develop your whole theology of healing and suffering on Job. You've got to go through the king. That should make somebody happy. (laughs) He demonstrated the father who was good. He talks about God being good. He says, I want you to, that verse, I don't know if we've got the slide, but we refer to, I think that is the end. Just leave that one up, it's cool. When he says, look, love your, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, he then goes on to say that you might be like your Father in heaven who makes rain and sun to come on the righteous and the unrighteous 
alike. So by giving goodness to those who want to do us bad and evil, we are reflecting the true heart of God. Whatever happened before, happened before, but God's heart is to do good to his enemies. Not kill them. And by harmonizing our attitudes and actions with that, we are joining with our Father in heaven whose fundamental desire is to do good even to the wicked. So much so that he lets it rain on them all and sun on them all. Is this helping anybody? And Jesus, God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament, but we're never encouraged to address him as Father. In fact, the, the, the Hebrews had the weren't even an, 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 <coughs> I need a drink. They weren't allowed to use the name. They weren't even they didn't even write the full thing down. They left the vowels out. Yahweh. Jesus comes along, so God is known as Father, but never addressed as Father. He's likened to a father in the Old Testament. Jesus comes along and his disciples say, uh, teach us to pray, Jesus. He says, this is what you do. You say, dada, in heaven. And he says it in Aramaic, which was the sort of basic language of the people. He didn't use fancy Hebrew, which is what all the religious people used. He didn't use Yahweh. He said, uh, he didn't use that formal language he said this is how you address him you address him as dad i mean they weren't even allowed to say his name in the old system now he's like call him your dad now there is respect in that word but there is also uh, intimacy in that word and affection in that word abba in the aramaic which is preserved by paul then in, uh, in Romans 8, where it says that the Spirit in, in us testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. It cries out, Abba, Father, repeats it in the Aramaic and the Greek, because there's something in that Aramaic word that reflects that intimacy that even the formal Greek word for Father doesn't do. This is like, this is, this is blasphemy to address God as Dad. We can't even say Yahweh. And, and Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and the, the, the Gospel of John really is Jesus expressing his mission to reveal the Father to the earth. Are, are you, this is different, isn't it? We don't, we don't kill our enemies. We don't bring fire down on people who disagree with us. We love them. We love all the people that hate us. We love them. We bless them. We pray for their crops to grow just like ours. Hello? We're not, we're not here to breathe fire and judgment. We're here to bring mercy on the undeserving. We need to be kind to the people who are nasty to us. Bless people who want to kill us. 
Enjoy the Father, not the Lord. All right? I'm not saying he isn't Lord, and I'm not saying it's, it's illegal to address him as that, but our fundamental connection to our Heavenly Father is through this intimacy with Dad. Not this, a lot of the words we use can be quite distant, you know, Lord, God. They're all kind of, yeah, he's big and he's powerful, but he's not here, and he's not mine. Jesus introduced connection, intimacy. Hello? This is different. No killing animals. No killing people. Jesus ushered in a whole new era, a new covenant that now defines the environment that we live in. And it's a covenant of favor. It's a covenant of love. It's a covenant of kindness. At the cross, God released goodness to the planet. He released kindness to the planet. And He's made us ambassadors of kindness to the deserving and the undeserving alike. There is no favorites in God. You don't earn blessing. You get given it for free. That's how come we all got in. Hello? Anybody here deserve to be a Christian? No. Well, that's the same for everybody else. They don't deserve the blessing of God, but you can give it to them. We can give it to them. We are dispensers of goodness. We are recipients of goodness, therefore free, therefore we give goodness for free. Because Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. It's a new era. It's a new dawn. At the resurrection, a whole new dawn for the whole planet, for the whole of mankind, not just for the people in this room. Grace was released. Freedom was released. Blessing was released. Kindness was released. It's a new covenant of love and a new government of peace. See, they were expecting this, this, they expected a, a kingdom led by either political or sort of warlike leader like David was, and what they get is someone who gets killed. But he says of his, the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. There was an end to the increase of David's government, to this government that Jesus has introduced, this kingdom manifestation that Jesus has introduced, it is endless, it is always increasing because it is a government of peace. And when the king shows up, this is why we just got to keep prizing his presence, loving worship, inviting him, learning how to host him and allow him to be our primary desire and our primary longing and the one that we gaze upon and the one that we thirst for. Because when he comes, the king comes, the kingdom comes with him. Hello. The cross and resurrection was a massive shift. A massive change. Humongous. Flipping amazing. In the Greek it says, I'm sure somewhere. (laughs) 
So we can't allow our view of how we do healing or how we administer the prophetic or how we think that God thinks about the world out there to be shaped by the old covenant. It has its value, but it isn't our primary reference point. It's not the old covenant is not the lens we look at life through. It's not the lens we look at God through. It's not the way we look at ministry. We look at ministry, we look at truth, we look at God through what Jesus did because He is the superior and primary and most glorious manifestation of God's truth and God's heart. He is the exact representation of Him. So if you want to solve a problem about healing, look at what Jesus did. It's easier then. I found it a lot easier. So right. So today is a good day. It's a good day to celebrate his death and resurrection. And he ushered in this whole new era. And we just need to learn to look at the whole of the Bible as God's inspired truth, his incredible story of his dealings with man, but not give everything the same weight because it's confusing. It was never intended to be like that. Yeah? Before Noah, no rainbow. After Noah, a rainbow. Has God changed? No. As, as the environment changed, as the era changed, yes. Before Jesus, yeah, kill your enemies and love God. And it's okay. After Jesus, we don't do that anymore. Hello? It's a big shift. It's a day of grace, a day of favor, a day of goodness, a day of kindness released on the planet to you and for everybody. And we'll kind of wrap it up next week. We're going to... We're going to stop there. That's enough to go away and chew on with your lamb. (laughs) Shall we stand? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. You're the best teacher. You are the teacher. Come and show us what's true. Come and land in us revelation that we need to live free, walk with you, understand you. Break off us religion. Break off us legalism. Break off us lack of freedom. Break off us judgmentalism and desire to injure and and punish where you've called us to dispense goodness. But I just ask that you convince us that you're good and you want to heal us. It's your will to heal. It's not a lottery. Is God in a good mood today and he might heal me? (laughs) your will to heal. You love to heal. You love to set free. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Let there be a new freedom in our hearts as we realize how kind, how good, how rich and how gracious gracious you are Father. 
thank you, we can come and address you as our Heavenly Dad.